This is Change in the Coalfields, a podcast by Coalfield Development, all about change in Appalachia. What change has happened, what change is happening, and what change still needs to happen. I'm your host, Brandon Dennison, founder and CEO of Coalfield Development. I'm really honored today uh, to be joined by Patrick Bradshaw. We know him as Pat. Pat is a graduate and a Coalfield champion of our 33-6-3 program through the Refresh Appalachia uh, Social Enterprise and just someone that we all look up to and admire. So, Pat, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So we're here at the West Edge Factory today. We're in the Sustain You shop and we're in uh, a part of Huntington that's known as Westmoreland. So this is where you grew up, right? Yeah, this is where um, I was born in Charleston, but grew up from five years old up until high school, grew up in this community probably been in at least one house on every block in this entire community with friends and their parents and their grandmas. So I know the community of Westmoreland very well. I love it. It's my home and it always has been. Even moving away, Westmoreland, and not even Huntington as much as Westmoreland. I mean, it's 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 its own community outside of Huntington. What is it about Westmoreland? It, it's very distinctive, very close knit. It's the people. I mean, I was talking about going into houses. What I went into people's houses growing up as a kid. They're living in those houses now. Their parents have moved on, or they're bought a house right next to their parents. It seems like no matter where people go that grew up in this community, they come back. And crime, you don't see the crime in the community. You don't, and if it is, it's usually people from outside the community. It's just everybody, whether you know them or not, or you, you, everybody knows everybody somehow, and they want to take care of each other. They care about the community and want to take care of it. My father went to prison when I was seven. My mom raised four of us here, and without the community, without our church and that community, we wouldn't, I don't know how we would have made it. Mom raising four of us, didn't have an education. My, it was my father that worked, and you know, so she put herself through school, um, nursing school, and the, we were raised kind of by the community. Uh, really, I mean, my sisters, my brother, we always had places to stay. Always, there was always food on the table, whether it was a church or whether it was. Looking back on it, it sounds like it was rough, but it wasn't. It was. I didn't have a care in the world at that time. I love this place. That's why I had to move back here, and I want to buy a house here. You know, it's. I love Westmoreland. Uh, of the four, were you the oldest, youngest? My brother is two years older than me, and then my sister's two years younger than me, and then I got another sister that's seven years younger than me. It was, <laughs> yeah, and we're all the same mom and dad, and it's. We're close still this day. I mean, we've had our hard times, but yeah, I love my brothers and sisters. And there, my sister was young. I mean, real young. And once mom started working, trying to have babysitters or me and my brother taking care of them or, you know, and I got one sister that lives in Westmoreland, probably half a mile from where I live right now. And my other sister's in Charleston, but and my brother in Boone County, but they all come back. They all still consider Westmoreland their home. They know everybody here, and it's we moved to Boone County when I was in freshman in high school and went to Van High School, and then ended up finishing at Scott High School because I got in some trouble. Once uh, become a teenager and getting out, and mom working all the time, you know, you do stupid stuff, and I wanted to be like my older brother. Got in trouble, got sent up to my grandparents basically because I wasn't going to school and that was kind of a, the only option. And my brother had already been in trouble and he was in uh, the juvenile detention center at the time. And when 
they were going to release him to Elkins Boys' home. But I just moved in with my grandparents. So, so where were your grandparents? Um, in Gordon, in Boone County, right by Van and Van High School. Where my mom, that's where my mom grew up. Deeper down into coal country. Yeah, deep. I mean, that's all. That's all it is. Coal trucks and coal mines. So yeah, it's lived up there for well through high school and got married, had a kid. Even then, soon as soon as Tyler was born, it wasn't 18 months later, and we'd already back down here and bought a house down here. Well, actually, my wife died in a car wreck on my son's, uh, the day after my son's fifth birthday. And then when, it, when that happened, when my life went to hell, you know. I was struggling before, but not like, you know, I can't say that I wasn't starting to use opiates before, but after, she passed is when my entire life, I mean, I had a son that was five years old that my mother had to take care of because I was not fit to take care of him. My brother came down here one night, I'll never forget, he came down here one night and we still had that house, but it was trying to sell. And he'd been trying to call me and me and my son were at the house and he came down here and took my son and took him back to Boone County. And I knew at that time, I mean, that I, I didn't, I couldn't raise him how he needed to be raised. Then I'd have my troubles. I would go six months or so without doing anything and try to be good, try, you know, and fall back in. And it went like that for years until I moved back down here. And I was doing pretty good when I moved back down here and ran into some people that I shouldn't have been around. That's really the first time that I'd ever stuck a needle in my arm. And that was 2014. It was an opiate user before, but once it got to that point, that's, yeah. And I was back down here with my son and everything was going good. And then I slipped and fell again, you know. Went through that for a while and <laughs> I broke into my sister's house when she was at work. I climbed through the window, grabbed a camera, what I could find to get rid of for drugs. And she pressed charges. And that's like I, when I got my burglary charge, it wasn't... It sounds terrible because it sounds like you burglary charge, you go kicking people's door in or you go, and it was a family member. I never just, I, I just don't have the heart to go. I couldn't just do that to just random people. You think you do it to random people before you do it to your family, but it's not the way you look at it. You think, my sister ain't going to do anything. She's, you know, she's going to forgive me. Right. And it took years. I mean, I mean, I'm sure at the time you were mad with your sister, yeah, but that was actually sort of the loving thing for her to yeah, do to hold you accountable. Well, I, I was at the Wayne County Courthouse and I came in, I'd been in jail and it was, we had to go to court for a pretrial hearing and went in, I saw my sister sitting there and she was broke down. Um, and I'm in shackles in orange, shackled around the waist to feet for her to see me walk in like that. It, it devastated her and me. And right then I knew, I went ahead, I played guilty. Up until just a couple of years ago, we, we finally got a relationship back. And now I keep her kids, you know. I babysit her kids while she's at work. So it's went full circle, you know. But for her to see me do that, or come in the Wayne County Courthouse like that, and 20 years prior, we'd seen my father the same way. I mean, his murder charges is different, but still just to see the shackles and see 
it's, to see her like that, it, that might have been one of the first things that changed my entire point of view. You were going to go a new direction from there. Yeah. You know, that was sort of a, a whole nother life ago, and now you're becoming a leader in your community. So we're going to transition. I, I, I just want to ask one question. We're in a pandemic right now, but in Appalachia, we had an epidemic with drugs and substance use. Why do you think that it, why has that gotten so bad here? People out of work. The availability of it there at one point in time, I mean, that pharmacy in Mingo County, one little pharmacy had ordered and got rid of millions of oxycontin and you know what i mean like there's enough oxys in mingo county for every resident to have like a hundred pills yeah and yeah the availability of it and people out of work people struggling and you don't want to feel it you don't want to feel the hurt you don't want to feel i mean that was my main thing is if i use then i know that i'm not going to have emotion i'm not going to have to feel what the way my life's heading or what you know and it made me feel better. It made me, you know, and that's what it was all about. It was, I mean, with my past, with my father and then my wife and then not having to feel any of those emotions and not having, you know, and that's an easy, it's an easy way out to not have to. Even still today, it's hard to feel even I can't show emotion or I can't, you know, and I try not to. And it, and I don't know if it maybe the drugs, maybe the way my brain works with the drugs, the way I just... I still try to hide it, which most I mean, and it's part of maybe being a male thing and try to, you know, but I probably lost 15 or 20 people that I went to school with or that I grew up with. I mean, I went to a funeral two weeks ago. Yeah. So, uh, but the reason I'm so excited to talk with you is you are showing that it is possible to recover and to live a full life and to even become a leader in the community. So tell us, how how did you get to Coalfield and our agriculture enterprise called Refresh? Me and Luke Huffman, uh, I grew up with him, and um, I've been out of jail four or five months at this time, and I saw Luke Huffman. I hadn't seen him in years, and I was able to talk to him. And before, when I was in active addiction, I didn't, I mean, I'd see him out, but it just kind of a couple words, whatever. And I actually talked to him and he told me about this building and about, I guess, Coalfield had bought it or was in the process of buying it at the time. And he was mowing the grass and I needed community service hours. And I was like, I talked to him about it. And he said, yeah, come help me mow the grass. So I helped him mow the grass there that spring and summer. And my community service hours, when they were up, he was still cutting the grass and then we started tearing out the basement and you couldn't walk when you walk in that basement you, where the bathroom is down there that's as far as you got the rest of it was six foot higher to the ceiling i just yeah volunteered to help him and because I, I knew he needed help and it wasn't about the money it was just about staying busy and then being active and so we yeah i mean we were finding grocery carts underneath stuff that's how tall it was i mean is <laughs> he introduced me to deacon stone and Deacon was here at the time, and he said that Refresh was hiring, which I didn't know what that was, and introduced me to Tim and to Ben Gilmore. That was a job. I, they told me to go to workforce and do, you know, I had to go there and take a test or whatever, and the, came back here and started working in the 33, 6, and 3 program. And uh, honestly, the 6 part, the schooling part, was the only part that 
I was not a fan of at first. <laughs> That's the most common thing that trips crew members up. Because I, I hadn't been to school in 15 years, but I went through the first semester, and then the second semester I messed up and uh, withdrew and had a meeting with you and Ryan. And that was that. That was when I was like, man, I got to take the school serious to call it, you know. Can you tell me what you remember about that meeting? Basically, the meeting was the program is 33, 6, and 3, and if you don't do the 6, then you can't continue to work here. I mean, it's, I mean, working's fine, but you got to do the whole, you know, the personal development and the schooling, and if not, yeah, I mean, and you got to look at it as an opportunity. I didn't look at it as an opportunity first because I just dreaded it, you know. Now, two and a half, three years later, I can say that I have an associate's degree. You're a college and I would have never, yeah, I would have never thought that. You know, how did that feel when you earned that degree? Amazing. It's like a weight lifts off my shoulders. I mean, it, honestly, I want to go back. I couldn't do it this semester starting up, but I would like to go back fall semester and see what I can transfer to Marshall and take classes and to go on and get a bachelor's. Why, why not? I mean, take a couple classes a semester. Tell me what your days were like as a crew member, just what you did, what projects you were involved with. The daily life of a crew member is coming in. We come in in the mornings, have our toolbox talk, safety. From there, we, whatever we're going to do, like the back tunnel, we built this back tunnel. Daily, we plant stuff, we transplant stuff, we seed. I mean, I'd never grown anything in my life, and seeing what I started in this room in here, the seed from seed to watch it slowly grow and then transplant it. And then a couple months later, you were picking tomatoes and cucumbers off of it. It's seeing that is rewarding in itself. It's relaxing. We actually down here at Southwestern Community Action, me and Luke and a buddy of ours volunteered and we built beds for the kids to grow stuff. And we built six beds down there a few years ago. Um, at the JW Scott Community Center, we've got beds built there. And the kids helped us build the beds, helped us shovel the dirt, put it in there. They were excited. They, were, we, they helped us transplant and seed. Actually, one girl threw sunflower seeds in and her and Elise kind of kept a secret, didn't say nothing. She had sunflower seeds, she just threw them in there. and. Back at the end of summer, when I drove by there, the all you could see was seven foot tall sunflower seeds. And some little girl, you know, she was excited, just threw them in there, didn't think that they'd grow. And I didn't get to see her face. I never, at least, had been back there, but I haven't been back there since to see what they thought about seeing it grow. You know, like right now, we're seeding flats for them for the spring, so we they're going to have peppers and tomatoes and whatever at least decides that she wants them to grow or what they decide on. What have you learned about the food system overall? There's got to be a better way for all of Appalachia, for the community, for the state, to get healthy food. I mean, it's easy to go to Kroger or go, you know, and nothing wrong with buying the produce there, but it's hard to tell where those tomatoes come from and how long they've been on trucks by the time they get to us, and then they sit in the store for weeks and... And our tomatoes, uh, no, they're not going to last that long because they don't, they're not filled preservatives. And, you know, we got the turn row online marketplace and we grow or the farmers drop off to us that we're, we're just trying to get better f food or better options out to the community. And I think maybe if we had more access and more people grew and more people even grew at their house or had their uh, like their own little urban garden or 
it would be a whole lot better for the entire state. So you're, you mentioned you had your 33 hours, you're doing agriculture work, you're building high tunnels, you're growing, you're transplanting, you're delivering and packaging and washing. You had your six hours, you became a college graduate, which is incredible. How about the three, the personal development, it's basically, it's conversations and it's reflection. Honestly, it is probably the most important. It helps you with life. I mean, you go to work, the 33, you work 30, that's fine. You go to school, do that and that. The personal development helps with life, with every day, with budgeting, with how to make your life better or more responsible. The budgeting, for instance, that's hard for me, you know, it's, but it teaches you, it teaches you life skills that you don't normally get or you don't necessarily know. I mean, in the stories that are in the personal development journals of the West Virginians, and you see what they were able to do with the situations that they were given, and it shows that anybody can do it. But I feel a lot of times, too, you you know, I know, we know what we need to do for our life, but we just need some space and support to realize it. So it's not about telling you how to live your life as much as helping you figure that out for yourself. Well, so now you're a crew chief. So you go, you're a community member, you become a crew member for Coalfield Development, and now you're a Coalfield Development crew chief. Tell me what that's like. When I first started here, I wanted Tim's job. I mean, it wasn't six months and I was already like, he'd brought, brought up retirement. And I'm like, man, I would love to do what he does and uh, bring crew members in here, teach them what he taught me. I didn't really expect it and I was nervous. I was kind of worried about once I finish school, then is it going to be job placement or am I going to, you know? And I was nervous about that for a while. and. The position opened up. Tim was going to take another job, and then he ended up getting another position. And yeah, and when they Adam came to me and told me that they were going to make me the crew chief, I was ecstatic. Which is kind of it's kind of weird because I was just crew members with Jackie and Alicia, and now I'm the crew chief, which means that you know it's I'm working with with them side by side, and then. Before you know it, I'm evaluating them. That part was a little tricky, and I, I think that it'll be easier as it goes on or once I get more crew members or wraps crews. What, what have you learned about leadership in your new role? It don't take much time at all that if there's no leadership, the, the boat is sinking. <laughs> <laughs> really, I mean, I, from March to June or whenever, the company was kind of down. I was, I was here every day by myself or trying to get people to come work with me. And that part of the leadership of no matter what, I have to be here and I got to, this needs harvested, this needs shipped out, this need, you know, I have to do it. Before, even as a crew chief or as a crew member, I would have came in and done it. But now I know that it's on me and it needs to get done. Makes it a little bit more difficult, a little more more stressful, but I enjoy it. I, I got a great crew right now. I mean, both of them work hard. I like evaluating them and showing improvement month by month. Or Jackie. Jackie started off as a trainee. Wasn't sure what was going to happen after that six-month period. But she has busted her tail, and she's, I see improvement in her every day every single day and it's rewarding was it hard for you to you know sometimes with the the point of the evaluations it's not necessarily to punish someone as much as just to point out where we need improvement so we're aware of it was it hard for you at first to to do that did you feel like you were dogging somebody or i had kelly have to email me and say listen a five means average (laughs) 
not a seven. You know, I'm looking at it like if I put a five, five ain't average. Five is below average to me. Everybody, I mean, average, should, you know, and I had to realize that not all my scores or not all their scores are going to be eights and nines. And, you know, five is average. So if they have an average week or if they have, you know, this part of the month, you know, it's going to be a five. And it, I hated doing it at first, but now I understand why I'm doing it. And now I look at Jackie's eval from last month, this month, and just see the improvement in it and seeing her at killing it, man. I mean, seeing it, it's, it's rewarding. I mean, before, if I was giving them starting off at seven, eight, and there you don't see no improvement. Why are they going to go to nine, you know? But starting at five, which is average, I got to keep it in my head, five is average. And you can actually see the improvement. I'm leaving room for improvement, basically. There's days that, I mean, especially in the wintertime, man. The wintertime is the hardest for refresh because I don't want to go out there and harvest salad mix in 25-degree weather, you know what I mean? And it's it's difficult, and it's, it's difficult to come in to work in the wintertimes, and it seems like i got to get on them more in the wintertime than in the summertime. Summertime, there's so much work. They're so busy, so busy. But in the wintertime, like I know it's cold. I know it sucks. But we got to get out here. And be, th- these radishes need pulled because they're going out in the morning, you know? Well, Pat, we are we're so proud of you. And again, I, I wanted to capture this story on audio, video, because it's, a, it's an inspiring story. And you really, in many ways, embody the, we talk about the, our vision for Appalachia, people realizing their potential, their power, and their purpose. And I feel like you you have done that and are continuing to do that and in this community that you love and in this building that you've helped uh, clear yeah. out from uh, the... I bust the windows <laughs> out when I was 10. <laughs> Just really appreciate who you are and, and your leadership. Uh, I love it. I mean, it's, it's changed my life. And five years ago, I wanted to be able to pay my bills on time. That's it. And now I can pay my bills on time. I can take vacations. Uh, the way I look at life in general, I mean, five years ago, I really was didn't think I was going to live past 45 or 50 and did not really care whether I did or not. So I love how it's changed me. I love what it, how it's helped my family. My son's getting ready to graduate high school and he's going to go into Marshall and I'm, I wouldn't have seen that. And whether he would have done that or whether he would have been living with my mother in Charleston or, you know, I'm not sure. But if he needs something, he knows that I'm there to help him, you know, and I'm or I'll be there, and I'll be there in my right state of mind. It's amazing. And, and you've done it. You know, I think we created the space. We provided support, but you mustered up the courage. And that's the one thing I want to say, if anything at all, is five years ago, I wanted the opportunity. All I needed was an opportunity. I would get clean, needed an opportunity, couldn't find the opportunity, would go back to getting high. And I know that most people out there, just want an opportunity, want somebody to give them an opportunity. And you gave me that chance. And I know so many addicts out there are probably the same way. I guarantee it. They just want that chance. Pat, thanks so much for talking with me today. No, thank you. Change in the Coalfields is a podcast created by Coalfield Development at the West Edge Factory in Huntington, West Virginia. This episode was hosted by Brandon Dennison and produced and edited by JJN Multimedia. Become a part of our mission to rebuild the Appalachian economy by going to our website, coalfield-development.org, to make a donation. 
You can email us anytime at info at coalfield-development.org and subscribe to our newsletter for up-to-date information on the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn by searching for Coalfield Development. Check back soon for more episodes.